Welcome back to Revive School Lesson 39. Yes, we're finishing up this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm Pastor Tom Schieffer, again, one of the pastors from Indiana that has the joy of, of being together with you and helping to teach. I get to be a participant with the Revive School gatherings up in uh, northern Indiana, and I'm actually part of one of the D groups. So a shout out to my D group. You guys have been absolutely incredible to all the D groups that are just pressing in to a whole nother level. Uh, it's been absolutely a joy. This week has been in Second Corinthians, and we're really wrapping up the week, but also this segment of Second Corinthians with chapter seven, a powerful and personal articulation and explanation of Paul's ministry and breathing into um, the church in Corinth in this follow-up letter. Chapter 7 really begins with this appeal of reconciliation. Uh, it, it caps a lot that we've been looking at. And he says, therefore, wrapping all this up, dear friends, since we have such promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, making our sanctification complete in the fear of God. He's breathing this in. This is a natural conclusion to everything that he was doing in chapter 6. And you notice there's these handoffs all the way through this week, these seven chapters. The chapter divisions were added in by publishers later to help us. Then verses were numbered, were, were added in later to also help us again by publishers. They weren't there. This was all one thought, all one letter. So he's wrapping this up, this incredible conclusion. Let's cl get cleaned up from every impurity of the flesh and spirit. In encouraging all of them and all of us to get clean. He's been spending so much of all of his letters in Corinth dealing with the problems of the church in Corinth. And they had bunches of problems. But he begins to express this real confidence and joy in the brothers and sisters in Corinth that's going to motivate them on to faithful service. And uh, again, our, our buddy Warren Wearsby kind of highlights out a threefold encouragement that we have in this chapter. And in verses 2 to 4, Paul encourages the church. And I really think that we'll probably incredibly spend most of our time here because there's something that the Lord's laid on my heart there. But notice how he begins this way. Accept us. Literally make room for us. Uh you know, when we come down, Pastor Gordy and I, Pastor Fred, uh, any of the guys that come from out of town, Kyle and Laura and Jude and the rest of the family, they make room for us. They welcome us into the home. And that's what Paul begins with here. Make room for us. Accept us. We have wronged no one, corrupted no one, defrauded no one. Now, for some incredible reason, the Corinthian church started to believe a whole lot of bad things about Paul. Uh, things, and we've seen this, that, that God wasn't using him. Uh, that he didn't have the kind of image or the authority or the uh, power that an apostle should have. The, the brilliant packaging that an apostle should have. But here's a reference, 
And he's referring back to these false teachers that had accused Paul, that had planted that seed in the church in Corinth. That's a, it's an incredible accusation. So in light of all of that, guys, I'm going to ask you, um, why is it so difficult sometimes to assure people of our love? I'm going to refer to the doctor in this one. Oh, the doctor's on. So how do we assure people of our love? Of our love. And why is it difficult to assure people of our love? Because I think people are skeptical. I think people always think there's a motivation behind something. That's, that's a really good insight because how the, notice how that... Hey, I, Tom, do you feel like a Mr. Wilson right now? A Mr. Wilson right now. Watch. Hi, neighbor. Hi, neighbor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is too fun. This is pro- I probably shouldn't be behind That's you, okay. I? I love it because we never know what Kyle's going to do. Um, you know what? Their problem, the problem of the church in Corinth was not an information problem. The problem was their heart. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. I don't say this to condemn you, for I have already said that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. They're having heart issues. Paul's not having a heart issue about them. Uh, Gordy, Pastor Gordy referred to that unequally yoked passage and how he took it in a bigger context than just in a marriage relationship. It's, it's time to open your heart to the brothers and sisters in the faith. Paul told them, this is what it is. And I'm, I'm opening my heart to you. You're opening my, your hearts to us. And trust us. Absolutely trust us. Because we have done everything to prove this. And he's even literally saying this. We're willing to die together and live together. And that is exactly how it is in the Greek. It begins with dying together. And the word order is almost intentional. We've been there. We've faced death together. And now we're going to live together. This is about relationship. Church, ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathered ones, the ones that all have the light of Christ in them. We're called to live this out together. Life or death, and we, and we face it all without fear, because we know about the eternal. That's the treasure in our hearts. This is incredible. But then here comes verse 4. I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with encouragement. I am overcome with joy in all our afflictions. I just really want to rest in this verse for a second. This is a passage that has impacted my life and heart as I have walked with so many different brothers and sisters over numerous years. Um, I actually did a, a calligraphy aspect and treatment of this verse years ago. I, I took a whole page in the front of one of my Bibles to really describe this and print it out. I have great confidence in you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with encouragement. I'm overcome with joy. Does that sound like most of what we've been reading, Kevin, in Corinthians? No, he's been spending the whole time defending himself, and then all of a sudden, here I am. I'm proud of you, basically. He starts boasting about them, but notice in the context of in all our afflictions. 
I want to take a little bit of time and kind of a slight rabbit trail, but I want to build on something that Pastor Gordy said in chapter 2 in our study about how this was really a, a great illustration and a great chapter and a great book, uh, a set of letters for our time. Um, I number of years, from 2007, I had this article that I've been hanging on to and hanging on to by a pastor, Chuck Warnock. And he titled it, it was part from his blog, called Paul's Worst Church, Our Best Model. I mean, arguably you could say, this is the worst church that Paul had. I mean, we know more about their problems. We know more about what they went through. We know more about how out of sorts they were. But he makes the case that this is possibly the best model for us of anything in the church. This is better. I, I don't care if you've got a seeker model. I don't care if you have a, a come and see model. I don't care if you have a house church model. This may be, in the light of all of them, the best model that we had. Um, and, and Pastor Warnock said, I think it's about time somebody came to the defense of the church of Corinth. Uh, okay, they're all dead now, so they don't care, <laughs> he said. But there is something incredibly powerful that makes sense for this verse of 2 Corinthians 7.4. Why he has confidence, pride, why he's filled with encouragement, why he's overcome with joy, even in spite of all of this stuff that he's been through. Here's why. And we're going to build this out over kind of over on this side. This church is full of new believers. I mean, how many of our churches... Count church growth based on who's shifting to go where. This is a church full of new believers. There's not a transfer member among them. And they do some incredible things. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and I, this is in my mind right now because um, Phoebe is mentioned there. And one of the dear saints of the congregation I serve, the pastor and her husband called her Phoebe. Her name was Mary Ellen, Mary Ellen Best, but they called her Phoebe. And uh, uh, Phoebe was the one that was sent to Rome. Now she was either, uh, let's go to verse 2 of Acts 16. I'm doing this off the top of my head, Kevin. Romans 16. Romans, thank you, thank you. I stand corrected. Romans 16, 1 and 2. That's where we're at. That's what I get for trying to do things off the top of our head. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Chenchoria. We're going to come back to that. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever manner she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. Look at verse 1, where she's from, Chenchoria. This is the port city of Corinth. Phoebe came from Corinth. She's one of these new believers and may be the first at least one of the first or the first deaconess. And she has grown to this point where she is so uh, incredibly valuable that she is this dear servant, this dear sister. And there's even the thought, because she's mentioned here, that she may be the one that actually carried Romans to the church in Rome. Second thing I want you to see. They participated. There were no observers they engaged. Uh, they might have been a little too exuberant. They um, might have 
got out of whack with their word of prophecy and knowledge and tongues and revelation interpretation, but they wanted to participate. And you know what? If they want to contribute in worship, that makes them coachable. They want to participate. They, they, uh, this is great. Uh, Pastor Warnock said, they obviously did not have an order of worship, but as Jack Nicholas has said in his golf swing, I was going for distance and I figured I could work on accuracy later. They were engaged, fully engaged. And Paul, in one light, everything that he's doing is helping refine them, uh, channel them, give them the accuracy that they needed. But man, I'll tell you, to engage and have this kind of participation in this church, it was an encouragement to them. Now, here's another thing. They made mistakes. Boy, did they make mistakes. But they did it out of enthusiasm. Like they were excited to make mistakes? Well, they were excited. Sometimes when you get a new believer, they have no idea how to do the church thing. And so they're, they're enthusiastic, and I want to do this, and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I do it. How many times with our kids, if they're doing it out of enthusiasm, they're going to make mistakes. But man, do we just love how they're doing it. Also, they practice their faith, and they're learning, they're doing it there, while they grew. They, they, they didn't say, okay, well, we're not going to do anything until we're fully mature believers. No, they participated while they grew. They were engaged in it. Their new faith was relevant to their world. I think that's incredibly important because they were then able to reach everybody else in their community. He writes to them about real Christian love. This was a community that had false love everywhere. And once they understood what real love was all about, once they understood what this treasure was that was in these jars of clay, they could speak to the others. I know exactly what you're saying. I know exactly where you're going. Uh, I'm discipling a guy who has dealt with drugs in his life. He knows exactly what they're going through. And he's able to then bring that in and, and so makes it very much relevant to the world. And then the last thing that Pastor Paul or uh, Warnock does, they were a real church. They were real. They weren't putting on anything fake. They were just being themselves. And all of the garbage that's coming out, they're just being real. How many times we put on masks? And all of that garbage, we hide at home. All of the the filth that's there we 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 protect it and we think nobody will see us so we'll dress right and we'll put on the right face and we'll make it all look good brothers and sisters we're called to be authentic we're called to be real because we're dealing with all that real stuff that's when we become a real church because that's when we can start helping each other that's when we can start really doing that whole element that we talked about with iron sharpening iron Sometimes it causes a lot of sparks, and we've seen a lot of sparks in First and Second Corinthians. But it's real, and they're becoming even more real and authentic. So that's how Paul was encouraging the church with verses 2 to 4. But he moves on. Verses 5 to 10, Titus encourages Paul. That would have been an interesting 
church council, church elders meeting. Could you imagine what that was like? I, I mean, this this is real, and and they're going, hey, well, what about this? And I mean, we're at a point even in the life of our congregation where we can see a, a whole lot of pretty unique things even being worn into into the church service. Sometimes we have to talk to them, but they're going, well, this is my clothes, this is all I have, or this is what I have. All right, let's talk about what that actually communicates. Um, yeah, you're right, Kevin. Their church council meetings had to be pretty amazing. Um, and especially after what comes up next with Titus encouraging Paul. In fact, when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. Instead, we were troubled in every way. Struggles on the inside, struggles on the outside, fears inside. There's turmoil. I mean, he might have tried to get away, uh, but he, there wasn't anything there. That, that whole aspect of rhythm, of rest and work wasn't happening. He's impacted, Paul is, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, but that's not where he stays. But God, in verse 6, who comforts the humble, comforted us by the ri- arrival of Titus. And not only by his arrival but also by the comfort he received from you. He told us about your deep longing, your sorrow, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Um, That's a huge encouragement. I mean, everything that had gone on, Paul thought they hated him. But there's something more here. And this isn't easy to... uh, to communicate or travel in this period of time that you you I think Kyle hit on that earlier this week the the angst for lack of a better word that Paul was feeling and how he just couldn't minister he had to find a way to hear what was going on and it, it takes time and even even in this season where the Roman roads and the Roman army and all they had done with the people in the world now they'd made travel much more safe it still took so much time to, to, to take anything around. Um, we take this for granted, but it's still difficult. Um, 2017, I was in Israel for three weeks. It was amazing because Julie, my wife, and I could communicate uh, through Wi-Fi. I, I saw her on my, on my pad almost every day. And we got to talk because today we've got that opportunity. My first time in Israel when I was there for a class in 1985, phone calls were too expensive for us at that period of time. If you could even get through, and a letter took two weeks to send and arrive. We had no real contact for over two weeks. Um, for Paul, it was even longer, but it's, it has a, that, that element that we just take instantaneous communication for granted. Paul didn't have that. So when Titus shows up and he's got first person, it's not, it's not the letter, it's not, uh, it's first person acknowledgement. And he, notice this encouragement that he has. And he doesn't stop there. He's, he's sharpening iron. Um, you know, there's that history that, that Kyle started out with as we started uh, Second Corinthians. You know, they had read Paul's painful letter. And 
There's something going on here, and Paul just doesn't know how is this all going to come out. Verse 8 is how it, it starts to flesh out. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I do not regret it. Even though I did regret it since I saw the letter grieved you, yet only for a little while. Isn't this just, oh, pastor's heart is just uh, pounding here. If I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it because God's going to do something with it. But I did regret it when I sent it because I knew it was going to hurt. I knew it was going to cause pain. But I had to do this. Uh, and, and, and you get the whole thing there. But now, verse 9, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Uh, I mean, don't you think Paul is kind of processing in his mind as he, he writes all of this, as he articulates all of this, from the painful letter, the painful visit uh, that we talked about earlier, to this letter and all that's coming along there. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. There's a parallel aspect here that he's understanding and he's living out and he's showing the impact of Ephesians 4, 14, 15, and 16. Then we will no longer be little children. Here's that, that growing up in the church, uh, in a real church, tossed by waves and blown around by every kind, every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, that's what he's been doing because he's had this huge heart for them, but he's telling them the truth. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For from him, the whole body, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Do you notice here that all of the things that he's been talking about in 2 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 are all coming together. That whole element of living out what it's like to be life in jars of clay that has a treasure inside, how that brings out the unequally yoked. The, those that have that treasure inside are bonded together. We're built together. We're brought together. And he sees this with incredible joy, with incredible encouragement, because they repented. They came back. They understood. And they accepted it with the love with which it was sent, even as hard as it was. And we also see something else here. Not just speaking the truth in love that we can throw out there too many times, but we need to be able to do that. We also see correction with encouragement. Notice, now I rejoice. Verse 9, not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed, so that you didn't experience any loss from us. Oh my heavens, but he doesn't stop there. For godly grief produces a repentance not to be regretted and leading to, sal to salvation. But worldly grief produces death. There's a difference here. Godly grief produces repentance. I'm going to turn. I'm going to change. I'm going to change all that direction. Don't regret that. Notice the hand of God. Notice the correction there. Um, any of us, and we've all been there if we've accepted that element of of accountability, again, that we've talked about this week. 
that we change those things where we're out of whack, those breathing into our lives, it leads to salvation. It changes everything. But worldly grief just pounds on you, and it leads to death. Uh, this is pretty interesting, because even though the letter was stern, it had achieved its purpose, and what they had was not just a passing regret. A passing regret, that's the worldly grief. It's like, oh, I'm sorry I got caught. It's not that. It's we've got to change. Weirdsby does this illustration where he says, notice the comparison between Judas and Peter. Judas was full of regret and went and committed suicide. Peter, full of regret, full of grief, wept and repented on his failure and learned from it and was able to breathe into others because of it. It's always in order to restore the fellowship of the body with God. Yeah, too many church meetings don't do that. Um, there, there's a history of church meetings that just argue about order and which dot and T's are crossed and I's dotted as opposed to really getting at the heart of God. And here he says, look, all of this hard stuff turned everything around. And wow. Lastly, the Corinthians encouraged Titus. We don't have a whole lot of time here, but it's absolutely amazing because the experience of Titus in Corinth had an impact. Just listen to verses 11 to 16. And let it just sink in. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God's will, has produced in you. What a desire to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice. In every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not because of the one who did wrong. Or because of the one who was wronged. But in order that your diligence for us might be made plain to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. In addition to our comfort, we rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had. Because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. He was just bubbling over. For if I had made any boast to him about you, I have not been embarrassed. But as I have spoken everything to you in truth... So our boasting to Titus has also turned out to be the truth. And his affection toward you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of all of you. There's faith and obedience. And how you received him with fear and trembling, I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. What a joy. What a word. You know... One of the hardest things in the Christian life is rebuilding a shattered relationship. And we have seen Paul walk that through. And he's been honest. He's been truthful. They've been real. They're sinners saved by grace. And they're learning what it means to live as a crackpot. 
with this treasure deep inside of them. So as we examine our own lives, let's learn from the church in Corinth. And we're not done learning from the church in Corinth. We have several chapters to go. But let's learn from Paul. Let's learn from the church in Corinth. Let's allow God to use us to restore broken relationships. God bless you. It has been a joy to be with you today. God bless and let's carry on.